and welcome to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast on anything and everything adoption related. In this episode, we talk about Korean adoptee and Asian masculinity with Matt and Mark, two cisgendered, straight identifying adoptee men living in Seoul. Before we get into the conversation, we need to mention one correction. Matt talks about an older Korean adoptee from his childhood. But since recording this interview, Matt found out that this older guy was actually Korean-American, a kyopo. Young Matt had just assumed that he was also an adoptee. But we've left this part in the episode as it is because it's still relevant to our broader conversation about Korean adoptee and Asian-American masculinity. Now, let's get started. So today we're interviewing more of our friends on the show because that's what we like to do. So we've got Mark and Matt here and their dogs are like patiently waiting downstairs. With a dog cam. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Mark and Matt are both adoptees who live here in Seoul. Hi. Hi. Hey guys, thanks for having us. (laughs) Do you want to tell us briefly when you moved here to Korea and where you grew up? Well, this is Mark. So I grew up in northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota, uh, Duluth Superior area, and I moved to Seoul about four years ago. This is my second time living here. Oh, when did you live here before? Um, 2009 for about a year, just teaching English. And this nice. time I moved back to, to, to work to be a journalist instead. Oh, cool. Cool. So you had like five years or so at least in between. Yeah. So I went to grad school in that. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, so yeah. I spent like five years in like, yeah. I was in Boston for four years and then DC for a year, uh, going to school for astronomy. And then I dropped out of astronomy because I was a terrible astronomer. And then I switched to journalism and now I do science journalism. Cool. Uh, so I can still be partly involved with, with science stuff. So was the plan always to come back? Like after that one year, we like, I'll go to grad school and I'm definitely coming back. Um, I didn't, I wasn't for sure coming back, but I, I definitely wanted to go to grad school because of what was happening uh, around climate reporting at the time. Like back then, like, especially in the US, like the state of like climate change reporting was, was pretty bad. Um, it was mostly political uh, reporters covering it. Right. And uh, there was like an email scandal where climate researchers' emails got hacked, and it made uh, it made they were leaked uh, to make it look as if they were manipulating data and like making up global warming entirely. So I was like, oh man, climate climate reporting, science reporting is a thing. Like I want to I want to get into that. Yeah. Um, so I decided to do <laughs> not journalism right away, actually, but to do a uh, go into a PhD program for astronomy. Because uh, I wanted to like try to—that was my background. That was my my major. So I was like, okay, let's see how far I get. But also, I want to keep an eye out for science communication and science journalism opportunities. And so uh, I was able to, as soon as I dropped out, basically the astronomy program, <laughs> I went over and applied to the science journalism program. Um, and it was just by happenstance that I realized, as I was getting into science journalism, that there uh, were not many people covering science in Korea. Mm. So there's kind of an opportunity to come back to Korea and both for personal reasons because I am adopted from here and I know my birth family back here and I had lived in Seoul before so I really liked it. Um, But also professionally um, I could come and uh, write about science for international publications, for for English language publications that didn't have someone on the ground in Seoul. Cool. 
That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad. I mean, it's it's worked out. I feel lucky that I'm able to do a really combine personal and professional yeah. uh, goals while I've been here. Because it's so hard sometimes to find a job living here that's not, you know, teaching English or, or something that feels like uh, transitory or like a, like a transition job. Yeah, like yeah. like something you actually want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. your career. Yeah. Cool. Mm. And what, what about you, Matt? Like... Like briefly, because you've already been interviewed for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm from Truckee, California, um, a small uh, kind of lake, mountain town. I came here in 2011 and um, have been here ever since. Did you? Oh, damn, I think KMA already asked you that question. Did you foresee it as like a long stay <laughs> back in 2011? No, I mean, I think when I first came here, I tried to just play it year by year and um yeah. i think i kept finding things that felt challenging and felt like personal growth and so in my mind this was a good place to continue to be and so yeah yeah cool i think i feel like if nothing else korea is challenging and like i mean in a personal growth kind of way like it pushes you in unexpected ways yeah, yeah. I think you either, you know, drink a lot of soju or you, or you <laughs> like face yourself in, in, in some, some difficult ways. And, yeah, and you grow from it. Yeah. Or maybe, like, you face yourself in difficult ways and then, like, like interjected with drinking a lot of soju. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive into this, attempt to dive into this masculinity talk. <laughs> um, could you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in the US and what representations of Asian or Korean masculinity you grew up with in the US? I mean, I, I grew up in a mainly white town, so I don't think there are too many examples. I did have, there was an adopted um, another adopted uh, guy who was, I guess, maybe 10, 15 years older than myself growing up, um, who I was like, you know, he was an adult, and I think maybe he was my only exposure to it, but he was he was a really nice guy. He would take me, like, on the snowmobile and, like, let me drive his sports car, and, but, but I feel oh, like he was he very, like, very specific in his masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What do you mean by specific? Like, it kind of sounds like kind of paternal or something. I mean, I, I think he was, you know, he, he was always uh, very stereotypically, like, macho mm. and didn't have necessarily... I don't know, maybe it's just because we didn't know each other that well, um, and I'm just, like, a child right, <laughs> at the time. But, um, yeah, the ways that he presented himself were, were, were very much like, I'm into fast cars, I'm into fast fast machines um, <laughs> I don't care about other people's feelings and I got big arms and uh, <laughs> that kind of thing you know um, so yeah I think in a lot of ways though it was I think some of that was powerful considering everything else in the media at the time was was usually you know quite opposite like a demasculinated sort of identity and for Asian Americans like you know whether it's like I don't know like What's his name? Ken 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 Jung. Ken Jung. Yeah, the the, uh, the doctor, the Korean doctor guy who always seems to Canadian. 
making his race the ethnic, the butt of all jokes and, and those sort of things. But mm-hmm. so, so in some ways, it was a very different form of masculinity than I was used to seeing Asians inhabit. But I think, like looking back on it, it felt like you know maybe this is how, this is what America does to you, or <laughs> like this is how you survive. This is how you have to shape yourself to kind of to compensating somehow. Yeah, to not yeah or less compensation and maybe more just yeah survival in that like i don't think he's a bad person Mm, mm. the town that i grew up in was also mostly white (laughs) yeah i don't think i knew any asian american males that were like significantly older or would have been in some way like a role model or something to to emulate in terms of the way i would have thought about masculinity or how i would have tried to model myself yeah media representation wise i also don't really remember any asian american men like growing up, I mean, when I was really little, maybe like Jackie Chan, and like, that was that was about it. I think as I, you know, the first probably older Asian American or Asian man that I knew was my birth father when I met him. Oh. Uh, you know, when I was like fifteen, oh, so that was like still like fairly young. Yeah. Um, I think that had a huge impact on me as, as a kid because I think before then. Yeah, before then I didn't have any I didn't have any anyone to uh to imagine as an Asian American male, not Asian American, <laughs> but as an older Asian male. And um I think at the time also like in just where I was in school, I was kind of like pigeonholed as like someone who was good at math. And when I met my birth father, he was someone who was a poet. Like his that was his profession and as a writer and a creative person, I think that kind of opened up like a new way for me to think about myself. Maybe not necessarily in terms of masculinity at, at the time. Not that I was like thinking about it that way, but yeah. a new way to, to consider who I might be and what my strength as a person might be. Yeah. Um, and and that, was, that was really important. I mean, my birth mother as well was also a creative person. She was a graphic designer. Okay. So not just a, a male thing. <laughs> and now you've become a writer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I would have become a writer or considered that I might be good at writing if if I hadn't met my birth father. Can you remember when you found yourself in spaces with other Asian American guys, when that was like a part of your everyday life, if at all? I think at school there were, uh, at at my school, in my high school, middle school, there were like maybe five or six other adoptees. Uh, Most of them were were guys. So, so I knew them, but we weren't. None of us were like really like super close friends. Like we didn't want to be like the adoptee group of guys, right? Mm. Like we kept our distance from each other. Sounds like a pretty cool group now. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Look at us now. My friend groups now. Yeah. <laughs> right, but at the time you just want to fit in, right? Yeah. You you want to be like everyone else. Um, so I think you know the one time a year that I remember being with a lot of other Asian American guys was uh, one week a year we would go to a, my family would take me and my younger brother who was also adopted from Korea to a Korean culture camp so mm. it was like a week of like it was like a yes. day camp the camps. Yes. <laughs> and that was like the only other time really that I would, would get to spend time with a lot of like other uh, Asian American males of course we were like prepubescent at the time so it's not like we were like discussing masculinity (laughs) I think I think for me the first time I like uh, like willfully made the choice to hang out with a lot of 
with other Asian men was um, probably in college. Um, like I, I studied ethnic studies, and I think it's the sort of field where it's it, where you eventually have to kind of. I mean, as part of the practice of it, you turn the lens back on yourself and like mm. think about how you fit into all of this. And um, yeah, just the realizing there was a lot of undoing. I think, like Mark said, just like anxiety around being around other Asians and being labeled as like the Asian group and trying to undo that. Um, but they weren't Korean either, which I thought was interesting as well, looking back on. Um, I think I never really hung out in, with other Koreans until I actually um, found, um, there's another group in the Bay Area called Hobak, Hello Organized Bay Area Koreans. And it was, um, <laughs> I think so cute. the only reason I was able to hang out with them and feel like a part of something with them was that everyone in that group were sort of on the margins of Koreanness, um, rather than being an organization that focused exclusively on, you know, culture as this beacon for, like, togetherness, um, because that was also something that never felt like mine, and I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't think I ever made a conscious decision to <clears throat> hang out with American males, or, like, to seek out Asian American males specifically. Yeah. I feel like for a long time, I didn't really feel... Asian American, which I think you know, a lot of adoptees probably feel that way, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I would go to Asian American spaces, even in college, you know, like the Korean Student Association. And I remember feeling like, oh, I don't really belong here because I'm not really Asian American in the way that they're Asian American. Because I don't have Asian parents, I don't have Asian American parents, um, and our experiences are just are just so different. Yeah. So I think I, um, I wouldn't say that I avoided them. <laughs> those spaces but I didn't really feel comfortable even calling myself an Asian American I didn't didn't feel like basically like I was good enough to be an Asian American um, or to call myself an Asian American probably until I was in grad school probably that was around when I started uh, hanging out with the Boston Korean adoptees group BKA and uh, yeah that was probably the first time that I that I really had a lot of Asian American friends and not just Koreans because I met others Asian American male friends through through that group, um, in a you know in a context where we saw, we all saw each other as Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. I kind of just wanted to like backtrack to something you said about that um, older Korean adoptee that um, used to kind of like hang out with you a bit. Yeah, and because I feel like I completely cut you off when you said that you think that maybe some of his uh, masculine representation was just survival. Can we just, like, talk about that a little bit more? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think if you grow up getting bullied a lot, right? <laughs> you yeah. Learn, you learn to, to defend yourself. Um, I think one interesting thing, and, in, like, I think maybe, like, he was... I think my first representation of an Asian without an accent, which I thought was 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 interesting. Um, but also, I I, f- I remember him talking and like acknowledging that he doesn't have an accent and like 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 pointing it out, like pointing it out, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like in a lot of ways, the masculinity that he had made for himself was like in response to you know, uh, all of the representations of in, of Asian males and, you know, American culture at the time that 
you know, were probably pretty psychologically and emotionally damaging to him. Yeah. 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 Do you think he was trying to sort of impart that knowledge on to you or...? Um, yeah, I, I think I felt like at times he was sort of like trying to be a mentor in some ways, yeah. But not so much as like, you know, let me talk to you about identity, <laughs> more like, let's go ride this snowmobile really fast. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, like chats about identity don't sound like overly uh, yeah. masculine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you enjoy <laughs> being on the snowmobile? Not scared the shit out of me. Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous. I like fast cars and like fast shit growing up. That, that, that was kind of my jam. But in a way, it was also maybe a response to, to, to the fact that like all the other like all my white male friends also enjoyed that kind of stuff but I actually did like genuinely enjoy it too and like I'm still a big like auto racing fan so you know I guess I guess yeah. that stuck with me has your um, identification as Asian American or that you know the fact that that term has resonated with you a bit more has that kind of amplified since you've moved here um in a way Yes, but also in a way, if anything, I sometimes I feel more Asian than Asian American. Mm-hmm. Like spending time in Asia, in an Asian context. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, still, I don't have that much. Relatively speaking, I have much more first-hand knowledge of living in Asia than being in Asian American culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. So, in a way, I still kind of find myself in uh, not really falling into any of any any of those categories. Mm-hmm. I guess I was I was just imagining that maybe other people would perceive you as uh, or confuse you as like a second generation Asian American or something. Here, yes, oh yeah, people definitely right expect me to speak Korean, and then when I don't, they think that I'm like second generation Kyopo mm-hmm. and like yeah. oh your parents were terrible, they didn't teach you how to speak Korean. Um, so yeah, from that angle, I have, I have gotten it. But also like when I go back, even if I go back home to like Minnesota and I'm with a lot of Asian American people, they're like, like they, they feel that there's something different about me too. Oh, it's, whether it's just like the way I dress, like the clothes I wear and the classes that I have. Um, and um, I mean, I find myself in a way kind of othered um, in, in those contexts too. For me, I think um, Asian American as like a term, my understanding is it came out um, as part of a like very specific political identity, right, in the, in the 60s and um, um, one against white supremacy, one against, you know, power. And I think for me, that term has always been linked to sort of with kind of like a cross pan-Asian struggle, like for better or for worse. I think the term has like a lot of limitations as well, too. But um, I think, like, coming to Korea, like, um, it's interesting because I think there's almost this, like, in activism circles sometimes there's almost this obsession or fetish with the homeland and the motherland and it being this, this, in one hand, maybe something that we lost or that was, like, taken from us in some way or in another way, like, uh, like, a goal or this way in which we would like to live again. And I think... Coming back to Korea, I definitely don't feel that way about Korea, um, and and it's and things get more complex because you just you see what Korea does to 
the rest of Asia in terms of development. You see what Korea does to its own citizens. You see what it does to adoptees. You see what it does to so like, in that sense, the term like that political side of Asian Americanness and motherland kind of got real <laughs> for me, and um, yeah, and got more complex. Yeah, I think I feel exactly. That, that's exactly where the for me the disconnect is in feeling Asian American because because it's not an idealized place uh, in my mind it's it's my home and, and uh, I've mm. made it my home for the past four years and um, yeah the social issues that I care about as a Korean resident you know they, they are uh, their own complex things that are parallel and intersecting with the way that Asian Americans may look at certain issues um, Especially on something like like North Korea, you know, like the, the uh, Korean American community, I feel like in, in in the U.S. is you know diverse, but it's often not represented um, that way in terms of the way that they think about North Korea, right? I think it's it's true that a lot of uh, the Korean American community is locked in, right? Any immigrant community, their views of their homeland are sort of locked in from when they left it. Time capsule. Yeah. yeah. So the. You know, the progressive left in South Korea is sometimes not always aligned with the Korean American community on certain issues. I shouldn't say the Korean American community as a whole, but you know, certain certain people, certainly the people that seem to get represented, because I feel like in the media in North Korea, <laughs> the Korean American community is often seen as or portrayed as um, you know really really hawkish <laughs> yeah. in North Korea. Anyway, that doesn't really have anything to do with masculinity, but <laughs> sorry to <laughs> go down a tangent. How do you feel masculinity in Korea is different from Western masculinity, and how do you experience your masculinity in Korea? I think, yeah, superficially, there is the stereotype that. Asian men are not as like masculine in the sort of westernized view of masculinity and sometimes that's like referred to as a positive thing like I've seen like a lot of like people talk about like BTS and like how they feel like um, like you know women and men like say like oh like it's really refreshing to see BTS be sort of this this vision of masculinity that doesn't necessarily correspond to to white male masculinity so I think on that that level I, I was I responded like really positively to being in Korea. Like I really enjoyed that. I did not have to try to conform to all of the things um, that I was expected to do in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Not that I ever like did them, did them well <laughs> anyway to begin with. But um, so I think on that level, um, I felt more comfortable. On the deeper levels, you know, you also see. I mean, yes, you see how this masculinity vision is is maybe less rough around the edges uh on the surface layer but then you also see like the toxic levels of masculinity and how that's embedded in korean culture and um you know that is something that i guess (laughs) the more you learn the more i have been here and the more i have learned about korean culture the more i've learned to recognize how toxic how toxic masculinity manifests itself in different ways maybe in korea than in the u.s and how it takes advantage of you know structural you know hierarchies that may be more present in Korea than than in the U.S. and that took me a while to really to wrap my head around and to really see how uh, it 
presented itself in Korean society and how Korean women would uh, would experience that um, you know things like workplace culture or like sexual harassment mm. um, understanding how right like how hoisics function like yeah. you know these parts of Korean culture that you kind of have to be here for a while to see the more I'm here the more I see of it yeah I think there's a tendency like Mark said to focus on things like you know BTS and their their androgyny or like uh, you know skinship and and uh, um, between males here and and like like he was saying when you first experience it it's refreshing because it's different mm-hmm. and the bounds are different um, but there are still boundaries and there are still things that are not okay and like um, I mean I would even say like you know me having facial hair here in Korea is wow. definitely not within the realms of like acceptable masculinity it means that you're a vagrant or you're dangerous <laughs> or you're scary uh-huh. or um, it, you know whereas I feel like I fit in pretty well in hipster San Francisco but um, <laughs> um, yeah so I, I think it, it's 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 like a lot of things in Korea have been for me they start off as new or cute or interesting and then you discover that no you know men are crappy here too <laughs> and they created systems to dominate here too and um mm. Yeah, I'm kind of over the West's fast, like, like enrapturement with with Korea's masculinity because here has yeah. a lot of the same problems. It's just that the definitions might be a little different. Yeah, it's ironic while BTS is blowing up in the U.S., like that the whole K-pop industry is being engulfed by by this huge, huge scandal. Scandal, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, huge sexual harassment scandal, mm-hmm. sexual harassment, prostitution. Et cetera, et cetera. Downer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have more beer? <laughs> I mean, I will say that, yeah, on a personal level, when I first came here, there was a period of adjustment where I had to, to realize that mm, the way that I behaved was coded as much more masculine in Korea than in the U.S., and that I was uh, seen, like I was, I was not perceived differently the way that I felt that I was seen uh, in the U.S. as an Asian male. Just like the fact that, you know, you, you look like other people, so now you are maybe potentially attractive to people in a sort of like norm- normative way, not necessarily an, oh, you're the Asian guy, that's kind of interesting way. Um, that was, that's, you know, that's, that's an adjustment that a lot, that a lot of people go through when they move and uh yeah it can be it can be a positive thing and it can also be like a really terrible toxic thing <laughs> yeah depending on how you how I you think that, how that's you like a big that. danger is you come here and you might fit more into like what it means to be an attractive man and um some people run with that and really fit in well with that new system and uh, do horrible things yeah do you mean they go a bit crazy with like womanizing or something for a bit I mean like replicate yeah I mean like Mm -hmm. replicate horrible patterns of gender violence or of you know dominance or dehumanization or whatever because you've made it and now you fit the category yeah but surely that's also um uh kind of is that kind of healing in a way I mean I, I mean they need a lot not, of therapy. Not the going crazy, <laughs> but, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say sometimes people need to break in order to heal or whatever, but I, I also think that, like, that really more people here need to go to therapy. And people need to, <laughs> and people need to find healthier ways of, like, of, like, dealing with these things, because they are hard and they are complex. Yeah. And it, it, it is something that I'm still dealing with as well, too, and I am going to therapy for, um, and it's very helpful. Um, and I think there's ways in which to heal yourself as a man without destroying women. Yeah, I mean, th the thing is, I feel like within the adoptive community, um, we we more tend to focus on like male adoptees who come here and, and then, yeah, like go a bit crazy because I guess the whole stereotype is that, that male adoptees are, have may maybe been like emasculated in in Western society and then come here and feel like, oh, I've got this like smorgasbord of dating options or, or um, whatever. But I don't know if I, whether I, I don't know if I want to say this, but like, I feel like women, female adoptees come here too and also go, like, I feel like I had some period where I came here and like just also went a bit crazy. Do you know what I mean? It's not just, I feel, what I'm saying is, I feel like this whole like predatory male adoptee behavior. I think I don't think it's just male adoptees, frankly. I think sometimes like female adoptees come here as well, like for the gathering or whatever, and like also. I mean, let me be clear. I am not. I am not slut shaming people. If you want to come here and get your consensual sex on with as many people as you want and heal through that, that's great. <laughs> that is awesome, and that is an option here. Um, but I think more often than not, like those relationships, like he was saying, manifest themselves in like truly toxic ways, uh, things like lying and mani emotional manipulation and yes. things. And I, I think maybe like you know like yes there are women adoptees who come here and, and are shitty too but like i think there's always a dip like for me in my understanding of masculinity there's always has to be like an an understanding of power and how that plays out with it because yeah. i mean it's like the same argument with racism of like oh you know like if i say you know white people suck that's racism but really like there's a different power structure yeah. there happening right um and so for me that's like important to point out too is that like even as a man here, there are different opportunities that we have even in Korea. Definitely. To, I would say. Um, and different ways in which we are even listened to in everyday conversations. Yeah. Um, so for me, yeah, I think it's by all means get your sex on, but like communicate. <laughs> and work through stuff with people and like because I mean like it, that could be really healing, right? That's what's sad about it is because like, you know, if there was to be an event like the gathering and everyone were to get together and like have these really powerful experiences of like sleeping with bodies that look like yours for the first time, that can yeah. be really awesome and great and healing and amazing. But I think um, more often than not, it goes the other way. How did you think, yeah. how was it for you? For myself? Yeah. Um, how was it? What do you mean it? <laughs> All of this. Was it healing for you? Oh, was it healing for me? Um, I think, I, I mean, I would say, yeah, I'm still in healing. And I think I'm still, I think I've realized that I have a lot of issues around being seen and being visible and what that means. Mm. And what I mean by that is like, I think Asian American males are never really seen in that way. Of course, you know, things are changing now and that's, mm. that's awesome. But, um, I think a lot of it had to do with that being that being seen here. Um, 
and that's still something I think I'm trying to work through because it's easy to be seen and then to take advantage of that, right? But it's, it's and everyone should be seen, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, I think for myself, that might have been one of the, the biggest sort of changes to my, like, my masculinity here, I guess. Yeah, is that visibility. And then learning not to do shitty things with that, because I've also made mistakes while I'm here. And I've also, you know... Slutted it up? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think I've also not always been the best communicator while slutting it up. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well... I, I mean... Like, in our defense, I don't know, when you, you come here and, like, say you come here for the first time, especially at something like The Gathering, and it's just, like, there's just, like, a whole, there's a whole lot going on. Yeah, like, there's a whole lot to process at once, and a whole lot of firsts, and it's, it's like, it's crazy, and it's overwhelming, and, you know, you might be, like, doing, like, a birth family search on the side, and that's crazy. It's like, of, of course you need support, and, like, yeah. therapy and time to process those kinds of experiences yeah I remember like uh, one of my first experiences with adoptees was going to this uh, Skillshare that was put on by Ask um, and it was an event where it was about 60 people there and they had various workshops and different sessions and different workshops um, were run by they're all adoptee led but it was everything from like um, I think uh, someone was doing something on Korean food politics. Um, someone was doing something on photography. There was a, a B-girl there showing uh, dance kind of stuff. Um, and I remember one of the workshops that got canceled was on um, by someone who had, had done work with like sex positivity kind of work. And um, I just remember thinking like, oh, that's so important. And it's also sad that that got canceled. <laughs> like, it would be um, it would be amazing if that were part of like are the toolkit that we could access here yeah. um, as part of that healing. Especially in Korea, some place where I feel like I definitely can't talk about, I do not feel comfortable talking about sexual issues with my Korean therapist just because I don't know yeah. I don't know how trained they are in that sort of thing or like whether that would even be an alright thing for them to like Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. to listen to. So, speaking of, like, support for, like, male adoptees and stuff. So, I understand that there's, like, an adoptee men's group kind of, like, in the works here in Seoul. And I don't know how much involvement either of you have with that. But can you tell us a bit about it? And, um, like, do you think that there are um, specific needs in the adoptee men's community here? I mean, I think earlier when I was talking about, like, the need for workshops, I think a big thing with that and, like, my sort of reticence with talking to my, as an example, talking to my therapist about my identity vis-a-vis sex, um, I think it's important that people have training to facilitate and lead these things. I don't know too much about the adopting men's group, to be honest. Like, I haven't attended. Um, I've just heard through word of mouth kind mm-hmm. of what it is. Um, I've asked about kind of what they're about and what their goals are, and I haven't gotten, I've been told it's more relaxed and chill. And so, um, yeah, for me, I feel like it's really important that men's groups have both proper facilitation and um, like goals. And so 
Or any group, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, any group. Like, ASK, I think, one of my favorite adoptee organizations in the past year, and an organization that I think had a huge impact on the adoptee landscape here in Korea. I think they started with a very specific goal. To end oh. international adoption from Well, Korea. beyond that, it was a political goal, right? Yeah. Um, but I think for them, they had people who were like both leaders in the community um, and visionaries in the community. And they, the actions that they took utilized the fluencies of those people um, to try and, you know, again, work towards a very specific political goal. For me, like a men's group that I would like to see here too mm -hmm. would do something similar. Yeah, that would have hopefully experience and facilitation and, and a goal, whether that be an emotional support group or yeah. whether that be um, a, a political action group or an artist collective or you know whatever that needs to manifest or even if it needs to be multiple things um, but to have that sort of structure for me is like something important that I look for in an organization yeah. do you have any thoughts Mark? I don't really have any informed thoughts on a, on a men's group because I've never been a part of one and I, I didn't even know what they were until I heard about this one and then I like googled what is like is this a thing is it like what <laughs> I have no idea right <laughs> I was reading it I was like reading about them and you know where they came from in history and the philosophy behind it I was like oh okay that's like that's 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 not as bad as what I thought it was you know because <laughs> like, I did at first I was like is this like a men's rights group like yeah. I, I don't know anything about it so all I can say I guess like is that personally I my initial reaction was like, no, I don't want to be part of a men's group. Like, and even though I myself identify as a cishet man, like there was part of me that was like, why, I, I don't want to be in a position where I'm like bonding over masculinity. Like as, even though it's something that we all, we all deal with and we all talk about and for all the reasons that men's groups the, you know, exist, the right reasons that they exist for um, are to, to, to talk about this. But there was still a part of me that was like, mm, but I don't want to like have that define me and my identity in that way. Like I don't want to necessarily talk about being a better man. I, I just want to be a better person. And yeah, I happen to be a man. But um, there was an ele an element, I guess that uh, that just kind of put me off from the the whole idea to begin with. But again, that's like an uninformed view, and I know that yeah. the. Uh, the philosophy behind it is, uh, is is well it can be well intentioned when it's well well facilitated. Yeah, for me, like men's groups that I've been a part of in the past, it was more, it was less of like, let's bond over a specific idea of masculinity, and more like let's commit to a specific ideology of maybe feminism, um, or of of dismantling toxic masculinity. Like mm. um, there was that, or even like. Uh, I was part of a uh, like uh, an artist group called the the Men's Story Project, where we put on various. It was like poetry to do storytelling to even there were some like more performative arts kind of pieces, and it was all about just showing a multiplicity of ways in which masculinity can be presented. So like it, it's very it had a very specific purpose, and that was like to complicate the definition of masculinity, um, but. Even with that group, it wasn't like, you know, hey, you know, let's 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 glorify like negative aspects of toxic toxic masculinity, right? It was still very much geared towards this this feminist lens of like these are the ways that we 
believe um, are are like you know and sometimes complicated right and and but also the ways in which we believe we want to push masculinity in the world um, yeah but there I mean there were some pieces that were complex that were like talking about hard subjects like um, domestic violence and things like that but um yeah it was all sort of geared towards a general political direction hmm. and so that's yeah what I think I would really want out of a group like that So when you were part of Ask, um, I'm kind of assuming that you were one of the only male adoptees that was a member at the time? Yeah, um, there was another male involved too as well. I, I don't really, I mean, I went to some meetings with Ask. I don't like to really label myself as a member of them because I feel like I didn't put in the work um, to, yeah, to really move that group forward. I think like it was a time in which I was transitioning from a teaching career into a cooking career. Yeah. And I found myself working 70 hour weeks and I yeah. dropped the ball. Like I didn't, I didn't communicate what I could and couldn't do. And so I, I yeah, I actually, I think maybe this transitions well into your other, um, topic around why aren't there many men in yeah. organizing spaces? And well, I think it's, um, women, and to get shit done here and then sometimes drop the ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it can't be that simple. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I think like in general, the community, women have always got shit done. Um, and maybe they're, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's like an urgency or something or like a need, like, because it, as a male, there are definitely ways to exist in Korean society and be comfortable. Like right. not necessarily not be met with consistent challenges to who you are like in a way you know you could mm. have the right hairstyle you could learn a little korean right and now you're part of the majority here and that's great whereas i think as a woman you're still going to be part of a part of a marginalized group here in korea and so i don't know maybe there's like an urgency to that or something that that in, in, in a way in which men here can just live and be okay with that. So you think, like, Korean society is more accepting of, um, like... More accepting of adopting men than women, for sure. Yeah, or, like, yeah. foreign <clears throat> men or, rather than foreign women, or... Yeah. 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 But do you think, like, male adoptees are kind of intimidated or something by these, like, really um, female-dominated adoptee spaces? That could be part of it. I mean, yeah, people like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you, but you were saying like I think like uh. a lot of dudes are like dropping the ball, and you know I'll, I'll include myself too. But I think also like I mean, is there? I don't know if there's like I don't know if it's like an intimidation factor, but I think because and this is not an excuse, but like the because so much of the the discourse revolves around women and single mothers, on hmm. wed mothers, and um, you know what it means to be. What it, what it means to be a woman in uh, yeah. in Korean society. Yeah, adoptee issues are like, very linked towards yeah feminist issues. For sure. mm. Right, and so I'm, yeah, again, it's not an excuse, but it's not entirely surprising to see less men involved in what is essentially a feminist cause. You know, and that should even change. though they should yeah right be the ones not, not, yeah yeah <laughs> helping with that. But um, I think that, I think that might be yeah. I mean yeah, that's what needs to change. Huh. I think just in, in activist spaces I've been in in general, though, they've always been led by women mm. of color, I think. Mm.
I think that's a really good point. Is like like you were saying, it, it adoptee issues are such a feminist issue, and so there's that additional barrier, right? That like adoptees, adoptee men have to not only like look at their own Asianness and adoptiness, but they also need to look at the ways that they're maybe complicit in toxic right. masculinity to to like be part of that. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. Right. Yeah. You need to be able to see how. <laughs> your own mother has been affected by by these structures yeah and because that's that's why you exist as an adoptee that's yeah. the reason you're adopted <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah there's your answer <laughs> from two men uh, yeah we just we just mansplained why there's no why there's no men involved I, I think so just I mean just speaking from personal experience, I think those are those are hard. Those are conversations that are not always broached when I'm talking with adoptee men, um, mm-hmm. and so I think, yeah, that could be like maybe a key thing that any men's group here would would try to address as like maybe a, a reason more adoptee men don't get into activism. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of other like random things that I wanted to ask. Do it. Go for it. Do it. Yeah. Random question time. New segment. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it could be. I don't know. Well, just kind of wanted to ask. I mean, is this a really obvious question? But like, so these like recent shifts or increases in Asian male representation in Western media. Do you feel like that affects you personally? at all especially I guess living here in Korea like you know those like always track yeah or like Mm -hmm. crazy rich Asians or whatever and this whole thing where it's like oh no now Asian men like are seen as sexy or I don't know does that I'm just wondering how that like falls on you (laughs) I think like I was talking to earlier it's it's like maybe in some ways all right Maybe in some ways, Asia America, Asian America is experiencing what it feels like for an adoptee to first return back to Korea. Mm. In the sense of like first being seen in that way. Yeah. And I think in that same way, there's also like a lot of just limitations to the idea of just like, hey, you're sexy now. Um, <laughs> and like sort of like, you know, what, what, what do we do? How do we go from there kind of thing, right? Yeah, there's always this balance of, like, wanting to be seen as, like, normatively, like, wanting, right, our bodies to be seen as normatively attractive or whatever yeah. that, whatever that means, while also critiquing, like, what it means to be normative. Like, yeah. what, what is the norm? And, and that's, like, a conversation that you have, you have to have both at the same time. But I think, like, no, it hasn't affected me that much here, just because I, I feel like maybe, like I was saying before, it, it feels kind of like the journey that I've had here yeah. to Korea, in a yeah. way, so it, it's not... New, yes, news yes. For me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I say the same thing. I think for me, actually, you know, growing up, when I was looking for like media representation of Asian mm-hmm. men, I was like turning to Korean movies or like dramas or whatever I could get my my hands on. Yeah. Um, or or Asian Asian films in general. <laughs> yeah. And um, for me, that was like a way that I think I think it, you know it was really positive for me to see uh, Asian men as uh, represented on their own terms in terms of Asianness and, and not just being, you know, a token Asian or a barrier breaker um, in white media. Yeah. Um, 
not that those are bad things. We obviously we absolutely need those things. But I think anytime you do have these these firsts and these barrier breakers, it does um, invite this conversation of like, are we only like, are we reinforcing the very structures that we're like trying to tear down <laughs> in terms of you know what is masculinity and like should we really be that excited that um, right that Asian men are if if they are being seen as sexy in a toxic way or in, in a way that reinforces these, these these structures is that a good thing i guess yeah for me it hasn't had a huge impact but i think i would be i'm more happy i'm happy to see it happening and i think you know, you know like if i ever have kids if i ever have like boys or whatever and or girls or whoever like that that would be a positive thing like i'm glad that generations of asian americans now will grow up in that environment yeah. the environment that i that wasn't there when, when we were growing up. Yeah. So another one of my random questions that I prepared earlier. Um, you kind of mentioned, yeah, that it's, you think it's like basically easier for male adoptees to live here than female adoptees. And I'm, I'm wondering like, so I, and I know that both of you don't currently um, date Koreans, like local Koreans here, but um, but I was just wondering, is that kind of? I'm assuming I never have, but like I'm assuming it'd be like kind of really convenient to date like a local Korean that like speaks Korean that like moves fluently through Korean society. Um, have you ever <laughs> have you dated Korean like local Koreans here, or have you been tempted to for that reason? Because it'd be kind of like yeah convenient like helpful i think there definitely is a dynamic of like <laughs> caregiving that happens in that relationship a lot of like when the local takes care of shit for you like i, uh, I even know like businesses here that are based on that idea of like where uh, yeah. i'm pretty yeah. confident they would not be able to have opened if it wasn't for their local korean wife um, oh yeah absolutely because that all that stuff who, must be a night all that groundwork to yeah you know fill out the paperwork file taxes, make sure yes. everything's in line, you know, yeah. argue with building uh, Damn, I need like a, I need a local Korean partner to take care of stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I did a, a local Korean uh, once in, like, when I first moved here, and it was, but it was very, it was very limited by the language barrier. Um, I mean, really, we were kind of set up by uh, my boss, who, like, <laughs> nice. Yeah, classic. Um, this was, um, yeah, it was a girl who was working downstairs uh, on the first floor of the building that our hogwan was in. Uh, she worked at a at a pizza place. That was when I mean, there was like that huge craze for like the honey gorgonzola pizza. Oh yeah. Yeah, she was working at one of those places. <laughs> and um, you know, yeah, we uh, were we're talking like she knew who I was because I was the guy who like looked Korean but couldn't speak Korean, and. Um, so our boss was like my boss you know classic in classic odyssey fashion was like oh you should you guys should you should you should go out and um i don't remember exactly how this actually transpired but it it, it did actually come to pass um <laughs> but we really you know it was it was basically like like language exchange for both of us you know, it was a very like chaste very like <laughs> uh, innocent kind of like like relationship yeah. yeah it wasn't really a relationship right um and it's kind of slow right if it's like language exchange like just generally yeah. like getting I mean, to know each other slow yeah 
Yeah, I mean, she barely spoke any English, and I barely spoke any Korean. I mean, it was just it was just kind of like a fun, like fun to hang out and, and, and meet up kind of thing. Did you get free honey gorgonzola pizza? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't mind that. Uh, as long as, I mean, if it's like real, like it's just not enough gorgonzola. gorgonzola. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You probably. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that was actually yeah the only time that I that I that I did a, a local. Korean, and um, the one thing that I, I um, remember maybe most of all is like becoming aware of the sort of like dynamics around this around this whole like topic. Because one time I think it was our first date, we were like going to see a movie. It was uh, The Moon, or oh, sorry, Moon with Sam Rockwell, but it was called The Moon in Korean. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> And um, so we were in a cab, uh, and uh, the taxi driver was like pretty, like animated, obviously, like pretty, like talking pretty, pretty loudly uh, to her. And I was like, mm, "What's going on here?" Like they were really starting to get into it, and it was getting kind of like a heated discussion. And uh, she started to look like really like mad and frustrated, and maybe something like a little bit embarrassed. And I was like, "What? Like what's going on? Like uh, is everything okay?" And she didn't want to. She didn't want to say anything. She didn't want to explain what was going on. But then, at a red light, the taxi driver turned around, uh, like literally turned around and faced me, looked me in the eye, and said, "In English, I do not trust you." Oh shit! Oh. I was like, okay. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where that came from. It was like he repeats it. I do not trust you. And uh, then um, uh, my date was. Uh, like okay, we we need to get out. We need to get out. Yeah, we need to uh, ditch this cab. We need to find another one. And I was like, I I really don't know why this just happened. But then talking it over with uh, my Korean friends later, um, you know, and we 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 went we went to see the movie. It was fine. It was everything was fine after that. Um, but talking with my Korean friends after and asking them like, why was this guy like? Why did he not trust me? Sort of like our working theory was that. Well, he probably didn't trust me because he thought that I was pretending to be someone who couldn't speak Korean. Like he assumed that I could, or that you know, in some way, I was like a cute oh, coming like back. There's no way that you can, yeah, not know the language, right? So, like, what are you doing to this girl? Like, uh, okay, <laughs> um, yeah. So that was like an interesting, <laughs> an interesting. Experience. I mean, maybe, maybe I am still not interpreting it correctly, uh, but um, that was, yeah, that was the first sort of like look that I had into the sort of dynamics about yeah, adoptees dating dating locals and mm. the way the way it works. I think, yeah, it probably is easier for for men to for male adoptees. Um, I think in part because they conform to. Uh, like on the Korean scale of masculinities, they they map to some place that is <clears throat> is more masculine, right? Yeah, than, than than most Korean men. It's like American women adoptees tend to be not agio enough, or like right? Not yeah, early enough, or not yeah, a bit too like loud or assertive or like independent or I don't yeah. know human beings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
So for our final question, I kind of wanted to ask whether you guys get into skincare and fashion here. Like, do you I like shopping time. in Korea? Where do you shop? Do you have a skincare regime? My 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 partner will laugh at this question because she jokes that I like to just take a towel or like you know if I'm if I'm washing my face or if drying my face off, I just kind of take my hands and just rub them over my face as like fast and hard as I can, which is apparently not a very good technique. And <laughs> um, will make you have horrible wrinkles. Um, but no, I, I went through like a phase where I'd had like the perm and like a clean look, I think. Oh, really? Um, and dressed in questionable choices. Um, like um, <laughs> I had like a hoodie with no sleeves, things like that. Um, Oh, like kind of K-pop stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, def cool, I definitely had that phase. That's cool, yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, I think now I've, I've kind of, kind of towards, like, turned bitter. And so now I think for me, like, my Americanness is almost like, my differentness here is almost like a point of pride. And so, like, yeah, I, I tend to just dress in ways that make me feel good about myself. And so you don't shop here. And don't. Or well, okay, so the, the best thing about here shopping yeah. for me has been suits. Because, mm. like, buying a suit off the rack in America, um, they generally make, they have to make the suits that will fit any body shape or size. And so that means that the sleeves uh, will be, like, two times the amount of sleeve that I need. And that's not a, a tailor role. You can't tailor that. You can't alter that. And so... Okay. The first time <laughs> that I bought a suit that really fit me well yeah. uh, was Korea. And so I feel like now I have these suits that fit me very well. Oh, nice. I still have to do that here. Yeah. I, 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 feel, I do feel self-conscious about it because I have a suit from America. It was like tailored at like men's warehouse. Yeah. I, I paid good money for that suit. Yeah. It's for a wedding. Yeah. But still, when I wear it here, I feel like... Yeah. yeah I'm when you lift like, the arms, it goes right. up. Right? Yeah. I'm it? like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't fit in here. And yeah. I, I'm very... Like whenever I go to a wedding or a, a funeral or whatever, I'm, people dress sharp here. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and also just their, their suits fit. Like yeah, they're not, they're not, they're like, I'm seeing really white dudes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's something I still got to do. If you come to Korea, get a suit. Isn't it? Yeah, As someone who likes suits. Yeah. But what about the other fashion? I'm just curious. Like, do you do you shop for like regular clothes here, or do you just like wait till you like go back to visit the U.S. and then? I do shop for clothes here, and I, I mean, it's probably now my, my wardrobe is probably like ninety percent Uniqlo and Nutrio, oh, yeah. and yeah. I'm not by any means like fashionable, but I will buy what like is the easy normal like thing to wear here, like yeah. the easy casual thing. Yeah, I feel good about that. Like like that was one of the uh, one of the one of the most healing things about being here was mm. um, about living here. Finding uh, clothes that finding clothes that fit and yeah, yeah and like. Made made me, but also that made me look like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, and um, mm. you know, when I was growing up, right, like my dad would take me to his hairstylist, my white dad and white hairstylist, and they'd give me like a white yeah, haircut. I get a good haircut there. Yeah, really, yeah. really bad. Um, I mean, it's funny to look back on now and like in in pictures. But the first time I ever had an Asian cut my hair was uh, in China when I first moved to Korea. In 2009, I kind of like backed back through China before I got to Korea okay. with some friends. And uh, so it was really, really hot. It was like uh, in Chengdu in like June. And I was like, man, I need a haircut. So I went and got a, you know, 
two dollar haircut somewhere in uh, in Chengdu, and that was like one of the most empowering experiences of my life. And I looked at myself <laughs> nice. in the mirror, and I was like, "Wow, I look like twenty percent more Asian with like thinning, <laughs> like they, yeah, they, they, they know how to they know like, how to cut Asian hair. hair. Yeah, it, my head looks like it looks like it looks like how I should have been looking this this whole time. Mm, yeah. Okay, so. So Matt, you have no skincare regime to speak of, but I, I do. It involves rubbing my hands on my face as hard and fast as I can, and then that's not good for your delicate yeah. under eye area. It's, it's, <laughs> you mean like without product? No, no, I, 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 <laughs> I, I use soap. I use. I have a facial soap. Right. It's a, oh, okay. It's, it's not, not like, yeah. Was the Brahmers like? What's that? What's that? The doctor? No, I just buy whatever's cheapest. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a brand. Okay, but it is yeah. a facial soap. Yeah, it's meant for your face, body. not a body soap, yeah. not a shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> and that way I have grown. <laughs> like the same as me. Yeah. Since uh, I started dating Caitlin, my partner, we I now use uh, yeah like a facial cleanser. Oh, whatever okay. yeah like the low ph stuff mm. i didn't know that was bad for you like i just use yeah i just use soap yeah on my face yeah. oh okay but yeah i'm assuming that your regime's like like improved quite a lot i mean like exponentially that's really the only thing in which it's improved <laughs> the, only, <laughs> the, only, the only thing yeah obviously yeah caitlin is really she she knows her stuff but i i haven't done any of that and maybe i should start now now that i'm starting to get wrinkles it's like mm, yeah I think, I think maybe it's a part of growing up, but I also think like, so I went through like maybe a phase where I was doing, you know, Korean fashion and, and you know, yeah. maybe Korean hairstyle or whatever. I think even with like soap now, like we use Dr. Bronner's. Yeah. Dr. Hala. Uh, just because it's good. It works really well. Or like the, um, I mean, like now I'm more into like workwear kind of stuff or like things that are built really well and like good stitching and like will last yeah. a long time and that actually means i can't shop too much in korea okay i have to do more vintage shopping and those sort yeah. of things that's because, it's also kind of because you're a hipster though right yeah i mean it's probably that but it's also like i think i'm at the age now where i want things that work well yeah, like i got yeah. i got a little disposable income i want to mm. I don't want pants that fall apart. Yeah, and some sometimes like cheap Korean fashion definitely falls that apart. That makes me feel clean, yeah. not not you know. No, I have to close my film that. Yeah. Mm. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. Thanks for interviewing us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to Bilbo and Guri for like waiting patiently downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Patiently waiting dogs. Okay. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast, or you can find us on Twitter at Adopted Feels. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes and consider supporting the podcast through Patreon. <laughs>